Good morning, Waterstone. It is so good to be with you here. Uh, we just sang of the goodness of God, and I have to say there's a couple things we have to be grateful for today and thankful for um, about God's goodness. The first is today marks one of the largest gatherings we have had as a church uh, for both services and online since like March 11th or something like that. So yeah, thank you for being here. Excited to spend time with you. Uh, the other is that Larry, our lead pastor, is here with us today. That was a special guest I mentioned last week. He probably hates me right now for pointing him out, but it is so good uh, to have him back with us. So say hey to him. Let him know that you've missed him. He will actually be back next week with us kicking off our series. Uh, love this book, Jesus the Messiah. We're going to be looking at Jesus and his life, death, and resurrection, and the meaning of those things this fall. So we're really, really excited for that, for Larry to, to be with us. Let me go ahead and pray uh, and give God thanks. Heavenly Father, uh, God, we come before you and uh, we do uh, declare your goodness. Uh, God, there are moments in our life where you show up in dreams um, and in power and change uh, our circumstances. And we're so, so thankful for that. Uh, Father, we also know that there are moments where you show up uh, in the pain and the suffering. Um, and God, as, as hard as it is, we still declare your goodness in those moments too. Father, uh, we thank you for this morning, this chance to gather together as the people of God, uh, to worship you, to praise you, and to experience community with one another. Pray that you would be with me as I bring uh, the message today, and it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so when was the last time that you, let's say, turned on your phone, or turned on the TV, or opened up a newspaper, and you said these words, oh my gosh, that is such good news, that's amazing. Anybody in the last, like, let's say week, just flipped your phone and opened up Twitter and just, oh, amazing news, it was so good. Okay, no one, all right? How about, we'll expand it. How many of you saw the news or newspaper or Twitter in the last, let's say, six months and saw some good news? Anybody receive some good news in that amount of time? Okay, a couple more people. We've got like four or five. That's awesome. Good news is hard to come by, especially in 2020, right? I mean, 2020 feels like it has had a particular, uh, I don't know, ability to, to give us bad news. I mean, between wars and disease and sickness and political corruption and abuse and violence, I mean, our world is full of bad news. And I don't know if you caught it, but earlier this year, when everything kind of started really going wrong and there was a lot of bad news and the world was shutting down, a guy by the name of John Krasinski, or some of you know him as Jim from The Office, he started this movement of good news. And he started a little TV show from his home office. It was about 15 to 20 minutes long, and it was just good news. And the world ate it up. I mean, people in every country were watching this short little, you know, goofy program because good news was presented. People are hungry for good news. Now, I'm sure you know this, but the gospel of Jesus Christ is called good news. The gospel is called good news. And yet I think we have something we have to wrestle with as a church 
Because oftentimes, the good news of the gospel that we present to the world, they hear the good news and they say, actually, that's not that good. That's, that's not the good news that I'm looking for. So we have to wrestle with the fact that people can, can hear the good news and not hear it as good news. Or people can come to our churches and leave wanting. That they can experience Christian community and walk away and think, no, you know, that's not for me. See, we may be tempted in those moments to think, okay, it's, that's their problem. That's on them. They just aren't willing to bow the knee to Jesus. They're not willing to submit their life and give it to him. And maybe there's truth in that. I think we also have to consider that possibly if the good news we profess to the world is not heard as good news, that maybe we need to look in a mirror. Because my fear is that, that we tell people the good news of the gospel that Jesus is king. And we tell them the good news of God. And they say, I'm not sure you really know him. See, because if the gospel is anything, it is always good news to those who hear it. I mean, when Jesus is born, the angels show up in glory and they proclaim to the entire world that they have good news that Jesus is king and good news that will cause great rejoicing to everyone who hears it, to all people. And if people can receive the good news, if they can hear the good news and not rejoice, not hear it as good news, then there's something maybe wrong with the way we are framing the good news. For the last three weeks, we've been spending time in this series beyond the weekend, that the church is more than just a weekend gathering of people to come together and sing songs and worship, that the church is God's people on mission in the world to proclaim the good news that Jesus is king and that through his life, death, and resurrection, the kingdom has come now, that we can experience life with God and that he is committed to the restoration and reconciliation and resurrection and renewal of all things. And so today's message has three purposes. One, it's going to be about 10 minutes long. Two, thanks, thank you. Thanks for laughing at that. Appreciate it. It's hot out here. I want to be careful with you guys. The second point is that it is a reminder of what the good news is. And third, I hope it helps us frame a little bit of the message we have to proclaim for a world that is desperate for good news. And so the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is this, that Jesus Christ has been declared king and that as king through his life, death, and resurrection, his kingdom has come to earth. Heaven has come down. We can experience life in God's kingdom in his presence now and that he is committed to the restoration and reconciliation and renewal of all things. And I believe that that is good news for a hurting world. I believe that's good news for you, and I believe that's good news for me. Because the deepest cry of our hearts, the longing of our hearts, ever since the fall, when we were separated from God, every person who has ever existed has longed to be in relationship and return to the presence of God. We were created to experience life in God's presence. And that has been distorted and numbed and distracted away from us. 
But the good news is that Jesus Christ has made a way. It's so interesting this, this year as we've been walking through the Bible, love this book, I've been struck by the motif of God's presence and how it comes up over and over and over again. That in creation, we got to experience God's presence, that he walked with us in the cool of the day. That we got to experience communion and unity and fellowship with the God of the universe. And we lost it. And ever since that moment, the story of Scripture is God working to restore His presence to us and for us to be able to experience that once again. And as we enter into the life of Jesus, what we see is that He is the fulfillment of that promise that God restores His presence to His people through the power of Jesus Christ. And so we can experience life with God in His presence. The problem is, that many of us live at a rate and intensity and pace of life that leaves no room for God. We live so fast that we don't create space to experience God's presence. One theologian who's encouraging the people of God to experience God's presence and to create space for his presence, this longing of our hearts that we've sometimes forgotten, he says this, There are dimensions over our glorious king that will never be revealed to the casual, disinterested worshiper. There are walls that are scaled that will never be scaled by dispassionate religious service. But when you take steps to worship him as he deserves, you will see him as you never knew he existed. When you worship God as king, he will be magnified in your life in ways that you did not think possible. You see, we need to create space for this longing in our heart, space to experience the presence and the power of God made possible through Jesus Christ. And that's good news for you, and that's good news for me. But the good news does not just have implications for individuals. It's not just the good news that we get to experience God's presence or that we get to go be with him when we die. The the good news of the gospel is that he is not just creating or, or, or renewing a person, but people. And that the people of God get to experience his presence, yes, but that we get to follow the way and the practices of Jesus that we get to follow after Jesus and imitate him and become more like him. That's the call of the followers of God. When Jesus came onto the scene, he began by preaching a very simple message, the shortest message you've ever heard. He said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And the message had two points. One, that Jesus is king. He is bringing God's kingdom to earth. He is inaugurating the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. And the second point is that we need to repent because our way of living is antithetical to that kingdom vision. Our way of pursuing the world and the things that we choose to believe and to do go against God's rule and his reign. And see, Jesus said that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And it's interesting, the earliest followers of Jesus, they were not called Christians. The earliest followers of Jesus were called people of the way because they followed the way of Jesus. 
when Jesus says he is the way, the truth, and the life, that word way, it's a Greek word that has two meanings. One is that, that it's directional, right? So it's a path, it's a road, it's a, pl- a place to get from point A to point B. It's the path you take to get where you want to go. And so when Jesus says he is the way, he is the path to the presence of God. He is the path into the kingdom. But the second meaning is that it's a manner of living. The path, the way, it's the decisions and actions you take in life and the choices you make to arrive where you want to go. And the earliest Christians, they believed that Jesus called them to follow him and his way. And that is the same calling that we have. If we declare Christ as king, we are called to follow Jesus and practice the way of Jesus. And the beauty of that, the good news of that is I believe this. Even if you don't think that Jesus is king, even if you don't think that Jesus is the son of God, I believe this with all of my heart. If you follow his teachings, if you follow the way of Jesus, what will be revealed to you is the most compelling, beautiful person that has ever walked the earth. That when you begin to learn the way of Jesus, though it feels so foreign to you, he will reveal to you who he truly is. So I think the question for us, Waterstone, is are we following the way of Jesus? When people look at us, do they think, oh my gosh, that group of people, they know so much about Jesus. Or man, those people really must like Jesus a lot. Or do they say, wow, those people look a lot like Jesus. I see Jesus in those people. What would be said of our community? Our community is called to follow the way of Jesus, to practice the ways that he teaches. And so not only is the gospel good news for us individually and us corporately as a community, but the gospel is also good news to us cosmically. Because the gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ, through the power of his Holy Spirit and through his community that he is forming more like him, is going about the restoration of all things. That God is at work. See, the basic question as followers of Jesus that we have to ask ourselves is, are we deists or are we disciples? Because you see, deists, they think, yeah, God, he, he kind of created everything and he, for sure he exists. But he's kind of just left us to our own. He's not necessarily involved in our day to day. He's not actively involved in my life. See, a disciple empowered by the Holy Spirit, recognizes that God is at work in the world, that God is at work transforming the hearts and lives of people, that God is drawing people back to himself, that he sees the state of the world, he sees the pain that we are in, and he has a visceral response to it, that he does not just abandon us and allow us to suffer, but steps into history to redeem all things. That God has not left us. 
that is good news to a world ravaged by fires and darkness and evil and corruption and abuse and sickness and the list goes on and on. God has not left us. The beginning of the message of the gospel is that God heard our cry. And that is good news for a world in desperate need of good news. And so there's three responses that I would invite you to today. And the first one is this. You may not think that Jesus is king or that Jesus is the son of God. Those are big statements to make. That Jesus is the king of the universe? Really? That Jesus, a man who walked 2,000 years ago, is the son of God? They're big claims. You may not believe them, but I would encourage you to do this. Follow him. Follow him. It's amazing to me the number of people that Jesus talked to at the beginning of his ministry. All he did was say, hey, come, follow me. They didn't think he was king. They didn't think he was the son of God. They did not know who he was, but there was something about him that caused this curiosity to rise, that caused them to want to know more. And I genuinely believe this. When you follow Jesus, he will reveal to you the truth of who he is. So follow him. The second way that I would invite you today to participate in the kingdom of God is through baptism. We have a baptism service coming up on October 4th. And I would encourage you to baptism for, for two reasons. One is it is a sacrament, a spiritual declaration that we are no longer the property of this world. It is a, it's, it's a, a reality, an external expression of an internal reality that we have gone from being citizens of this world to citizens of the kingdom of God. And if you are stuck in your relationship with God and not wondering what that next step is, maybe it's a public declaration that you are no longer dependent on the forces and things of this world, but that you are dependent on God, that you give him your allegiance, that he is your king. And then the last way that I would invite you to respond today is with the Lord's Supper. And I want to frame it just a little bit differently for us today. Because oftentimes when we come to the Lord's Supper, and it's right and good that we do this, we come with heavy hearts. We come with burdens on our shoulders. I'm so sinful. I didn't do this for Jesus this week. Or, oh gosh, I, I, just, I need to just toughen up and follow Jesus more strongly. And we come with these heavy hearts and, and needing forgiveness, and, and all of that is present in the communion and the atonement of Christ. But what we sometimes miss is that in Jesus' teaching again and again and again, he calls lost people to be found, people who think they're not enough to be declared enough. That when Jesus pursues us, and draws us into the kingdom and gives us access to the presence of the Father. He is inviting us to a banquet table, to a feast, to a celebration of Jesus' kingship. And so I would encourage you where you're at today to remember that the cup we take and the bread we break is a table 
of feasting and joy and celebration for the work Christ has done because it is good news. And so wherever you may be at today, I would encourage you to take a moment, prepare your heart, and then we will take the Lord's Supper together. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the cup and the bread, and with his friends, his disciples, the people who had been closest to him, he said, this is my body, broken for you. Take and eat. And then Jesus took the cup and he called it the blood of the new covenant. His blood that would wash away the sins of not just you and me, but the entire world. That would give us access to the presence of God. And he said, take this cup, this blood that is shed for you on your behalf and drink in remembrance of me. Amen.